Hey there, it's Nick. This is a preview of our upcoming season. To listen to more episodes, go to luminary.link slash love. She's like a black mermaid goddess with long natural hair. Her name, Mami Wata, like M-A-M-I-W-A-T-A, is like pigeon, mother, and water. And she is very like selfish in some ways and also like longs for a lot. She's a bit devious and a bit vain and will maybe steal things from Westerners, like if they come to Africa, steal things like combs and like a mirror and kind of fantasize about the foreign lands and what pale-skinned people's lives are like. And I'm really attracted to water. Like, I love being in water myself, and and there's so much, like, sadness, like, in the Atlantic Ocean with, like, people drowning, crossing the slave trade. I was in Mexico over New Year's and went to this part on Isla Mujeres, and it was, like, the most eastern point, and the waves are just crashing kind of violently across the cliffs, but also the water is so blue and beautiful, and I actually thought about Mamiwata and living in the water at like a place that could be very healing as well as a place that could be very destructive and violent. From Luminary Media, you're listening to Love and Radio. I'm Nick Vanderbilt. Today's episode, Black Feminist Thought, featuring Mistress Velvet. So my first Dom client, he was like maybe 49 or 50. He was like on the younger side. So kind. I was in a really tight financial bind. My roommate at the time was my ex-boyfriend, and he like wasn't paying his half of the rent, and we were going to be evicted. And I was like, I need some money. Found this guy on Backpage, and he's like, I'm looking for someone to take control of me. I'm an alpha male in the streets. <laughs> Want to be a sub in the sheets. And he was really generous. Gave me a couple hundred dollars to start to buy some like Victoria's Secret stuff to get into the mood of being a dom. And I was so awful. I would like hit him and apologize immediately. And he was really creative and like made like a strap on connected to um, like the things that ketchup comes in in a restaurant. You could squeeze it. He made this like come out of flour. I was supposed to squeeze it when I was coming, you know, with my out of my dick <laughs> and come all over his face. And then I, when I did that, I was like, oh my God, is it in your eye? And I start freaking out. I was really bad at it. And he told me really kindly and like really constructively, you will never be a dom. Like you were just too nice. This is not you. And that's fine. But I just need to let you know that you are, I'm not getting what I'm looking for with you. And I was like, yeah, I'm so sorry. 
But then I was also like, oh my god, no, fuck that. I want to be a dom. You know, like, I think I could do it. Hi, Jordan. Hello. I saw you just last week. Yep. How are you? Let's talk a little bit. So what do they want from you in the way of services? They want to touch my feet. Are they small? So good. Want to be put in panties. Let's try the stong first. I do some corporal punishment, lots of ash training, sometimes some double dom stuff. You like being fucked? Yeah. By anyone? Oh, yeah. They want to be called a bitch or be my bitch specifically. You like to be this little slut, don't you? Uh-huh. That's why I call you, what do I call you? Candy? Uh-huh. Candy? Ooh, I call candy. people slave. They love that word. Lots of humiliation. Your penis is tiny, basically non-existent. I would say the bulk of what I do is humiliation. Matt, you're ugly, you're white. But I keep you anyways. Anything I could ever have possibly thought of, I have been asked. I know what I want. I'm gonna leave a few lines on you. I like the evidence. The only good thing about white skin it's the evidence of me hitting you. Your skin is so frail, it turns red immediately. It shows weakness. I mean, you are weak. You all are weak. That's why you do the things that you do, right? Hmm? Almost all of my clients in my entire life as a sex worker have been white. Most of my desires focus on women of color. I have no idea when, but I developed an intense love of black women, especially. Everyone is like older, 50s, 60s, well off. They have to be well off to afford how much it costs. And then they're white because they are specifically, specifically looking for an African. And they like the ideas of reparations and like subjugation of white men. In my private life, I've tried to do what I could to make reparations for a debt. I can never really repay. Buying groceries and paying bills for random women of color. Paying for their order if they get behind me at the store or the drive-thru. Little things like that bring me great pleasure. We become like this myth for them. I use that myth to market myself. I talk about that I went to grad school. And that's a big piece of what brings people to me is that they're like, you're so smart for a black woman. It's like gross, you know, but I also have to do it. I have direct links to great grandparents who have stripped African Americans of their identity and pride and basic human rights for their own benefit. Literally turned them into animals. I crave to have that reversed. I had a slave that I named Pet 306. Ugh, he was one of my favorite slaves. I lived in apartment 306, and I started to describe him as home because he was like one of the only slaves that I would let into my home. So I named him after my apartment. He would come to my apartment after work, and he was like still in his business suit. He wore a suit every day to work. I don't know where he worked. And would, I kid you not, be my ottoman. He really liked the idea of being my ottoman and like really just being used. And there's a picture of him in my living room on all fours. He had made me food, then was 
on the ground and my feet were on him. And I'm like eating and like watching TV or playing video games and he stayed like that. How long would that be, roughly? I would say up to an hour. Maybe within that hour, he would go from being on all fours on his knees and hands to maybe knees and elbows to different positions. Like I would allow him to adjust. And then if he was tired, we would find something else for him to do. Or maybe he would leave. I remember one time he had to go on a business trip to North Carolina. He asked me to accompany him. He paid for my ticket. In the evenings, we would be in a hotel room together. The first night, I made him sleep on the floor. He only had a little towel to cover himself. And then he, like, very humbly the next night was like, the floor was really hard and my back hurt. And then I was like, okay, you can sleep next to me, but I made him sleep at my feet. I'm just glad you're here. He brought, like, his tax documents. And read to me, like, how much his various homes cost and, and how he spends his money. The cars, the flights, the hotels, obviously. Also in that weekend, he talked a lot more about his family, particularly about the inadequacies he felt as a father. I keep the roof over their head, but... He was married to a woman of color. She was not black, but she was a woman of color. She can talk about these things. And his children are biracial. And that he couldn't prepare them for racism because it was something that he had not experienced and could not talk about in a way that he wanted to. These are the things that weigh on me. I'm sitting on the bed and he's at my feet, kind of crying, talking about all these things. And so I said, I don't know how to help you, but these are some of the things I've read in school. I gave him some PDF that was from one of my classes. Read this and write some words for it by tomorrow. Miss Velvet. When I started, I thought my task was to read it and give my opinion on it as an academic exercise. After reading it, I realized I was projecting my belief that my opinion on this subject mattered in any way to you. My own egocentric, privileged white male perspective that my opinions are important to you needed to be eliminated. I realize that I have many biases and sometimes negative perceptions about some black people and black women, and bias colors my actions. Over the last five days, I gave thought quite a bit about myself and how I need to change my viewpoint on both women and black people, and that you are going to change me for the better. So after he wrote that paper, I punished him for things like, I think he used the term blacks. I hate that term. So I made him like drink out of the toilet. Truthfully, it was like the cleanest toilet ever. You know, like this really nice hotel. I would have drank out the toilet. You know, it was like so clean. But the symbolism of drinking out of the toilet, I don't like the language you used in this, or I don't like your analysis on this. Here is a very, like, palpable punishment. 
but also internally I was like, this was really cute that he did this. And so like genuinely and was like really passionate about doing it and like took time out of his day to do it. And it was really exciting and fulfilling. It was like a high. This person that's like basically the bourgeoisie read a black feminist text, cried about it and thought about his whiteness and like wants to make change. Oh, what have I done to deserve that? <laughs> so that's how it started. I love to read, and I pray that you will find me an apt and worthy student of whatever readings you assign to me. I will have the paper for you ASAP. Can't wait to prove to you my will to submit to your knowledge. Maybe our first session, they'll write an essay about why do you think it's important to submit to a Black woman? And so that essay is usually like, because Black women are beautiful and have the most beautiful feet or some something gross, you know? And then I'm like, all right, let's read some Patricia Hill Collins and see how some of your thoughts around Black women are stemming from, like, historic tropes around Blackness and womanhood. The author discusses controlling images that basically are roles that society has given to Black women to justify the oppression to them and their families. The Jezebel portrays Black women as these, these sexually aggressive women and sex objects. This image of a woman who is seen as a whore, it might be used to justify the sexual assaults of white slave owners and white men against black women. I realize the historical issues that black women have had to endure are beyond my comprehension. What I didn't think about was how much bias still permeates every facet of a black woman's life. E.g. standardized tests that are written by white people from a white person's perspective and many black people taking this test have no viewpoint. I'm sure there is something problematic in what I've written above, and I welcome any and all criticism and correction about my thinking. And I mean, it's not a, it's not a graduate course. They are all really just awful and stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That's mean. But also it's true, you know, they just are not... Like, one guy would write me erotica, <laughs> and he would create this world, like, on another planet that was just only black women and white men, and it was just, like, slavery, but reversed. And I love playing into that. Like, I think it's a, a fun fantasy. I don't think it's a real fantasy. It's not a on my actual communist political agenda, but it is certainly on in Mistress Velvet's uh, fantastical imagination of like black female supremacy and utopia. All of the black women are being served by white male slaves or they just don't exist at all and we are all happy. But that's the far off future. <laughs> Does 
Doing the Dom work, do you feel like it's increased or decreased your level of rage? I think it has helped with my rage because it has given me an outlet, physically an outlet to be dominant, also intellectually an outlet to talk about it. But then because it's not a perfect space, because I can only make these white men so good, they're they're like fundamentally flawed. <laughs> there is that kind of ongoing frustration. God, white men exist and they're so gross. And that's just always gonna be the case. And I think that that contributes to my rage. So when a slave is like saying you're a goddess and I suck up a worm in a toilet, are you just playing along to some extent when you say like, yeah, you are, or do you really No, I do, yeah. They do completely suck. I'm so much smarter than them, so much better than them. And they need to be put in these situations where they are realizing this because they haven't ever been told. Like white men get pat on their back their whole life. It's like a big responsibility as a god to put you in your place and be like, actually, you ain't shit. (laughs) And I'm here to tell you that. Um, And fear me. And they do fear me. And um, I feel like I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. (laughs) Because I think it to be true. Like, I do think I am better than most, if not all, white men. Do you think of yourself as a goddess? Yes, I do, I do. I feel like a lot of African women are goddesses, just kind of by default, so I feel very comfortable owning that as well. If you close your eyes for a minute and visualize yourself as a goddess, what do you see? Sometimes I think of myself in a Beyonce video. (laughs) Oh, sometimes I think of myself as white Jesus coming back. I don't know, he died and he was in the tomb for three days and then, I okay, I don't really know the Bible that well, but then I guess he came out and then it's like judgment day and maybe he's coming down on the chariot. And that's me. <laughs> My outfit is flowing, there's flows to it, lots of curves. The ends of it become kind of feathery or reminiscent of water. I'm higher up, like I'm floating off of the ground think of my hair as natural and afro and not straight, which is how I used to draw my hair back in the day, like when I was a child. Thinking of myself as a goddess is not an act of arrogance or like I'm really conceited. It's actually a political decision for me to think of myself this way because I have hated myself for so long. I've hated blackness and I've hated being a woman, like a black woman, I've hated being African, and now I'm putting myself on a pedestal, honestly, as a, as a tool of survival. Like, I need to love myself in order to, like, live every day. You know, it's so funny, because I had the impression, before I got to kind of see you in action with a client, that, like, you didn't actually care about them that much as people but it kind of sounds like you do. Yeah. Okay, on one level, I resent a lot of these people 
I resent them because of their gender, I resent them because of their race, I resent them because of their privilege, and they're very ignorant, and they come to me, and they're fetishizing me, and all of these things that we've been talking about. But then as a person that's providing a service, and as a person that is very sex positive, and thinking about, like, there are not a lot of spaces for us to venture out of, like, normative sexual scripts, we meet as strangers, they find out about me online, they don't know who the fuck I am, and they come to trust me with their kinks and with like secrets it's a huge responsibility i take that very seriously and like in a weird way like i feel very honored that they are coming to me in this way i still hate them though you know but i can hate them and despise them and care about them and also love them (laughs) i don't know if that makes sense I don't know if we talked about this before, but I'm very dark-skinned. I'm like the darkest-skinned person in my family, immediate family, and most of my extended family in Ghana. And I used to bleach my skin, like using uh, creams to lighten my skin, and also just I would be in the shower and scrub my skin very um, hard. I wanted to be not only just lighter skin, I wanted to be white. This was like elementary, middle, even high school, honestly. I wished that my hair was straight. I like really internalized these white supremacist beauty standards to the point that like the hatred that I had for myself was so visceral that I'm like causing myself pain in hopes of being someone different. But really, I'm like at a point where, how do I put this? Like, whiteness is so boring that, of course, all of these white people a long time ago would have to do something like global colonialism to make up for where they are lacking. (laughs) If that makes sense. (laughs) That's a mean way to put it, but I don't care. Now... I want to juxtapose that with a client that I am seeing also. What do you mean I'm seeing? (laughs) I'm dating a client. We've been dating for a year and a half. And I date them as myself, as a person. And I also see them as Mistress Velvet. Can I ask, is this person that you're dating and also your client, are they white? Yes, they are. Yes. So when I met them, they were like a libertarian, hardcore capitalist, and I was just like, I can't tolerate you. Like, I, I can't be around you. I don't think we're going to be able to have any sort of like relationship outside of the dungeon. They ended up really listening to things that I had to say, like, here's everything about anti-capitalism and communism and racial problems and gender issues. and. If I would go to like a political meeting and there was a reading, I would give them a copy of that. I gave them a copy of the Communist Manifesto. I gave them some readings from Kwame Nkrumah, neocolonialism, just like anything that I was reading at the time. These are issues that I see and recognize and feel every day. And when you're in those positions of privilege, I don't think that you see and recognize those things. Just having someone tell you that is not enough. You have to also work through it. And it's interesting because we work through it in our regular relationship and then also work through it 
in the dungeon as well. So it's been a year and a half, and they're a completely different person, like completely different. It's just the power of reading <laughs> radical feminist theory. You just read it and then it opens your eyes and it, it really like ends up in this radical shift. Like if it's something that genuinely resonates with you, it will change your life. I mean, it certainly changed my life years ago. I can imagine some cynical person out there saying, she's just a brand and a business and she's not really affecting change. What would your response be? I would say honestly that I agree. I, as one person, as a dominatrix, hanging out with white dudes an hour at a time or so, I'm not going to create that kind of or affect that kind of change. That's complete nonsense to, to think that. Um, to the other point, I absolutely am a brand. And, and that brand is both very genuine to who I am and also those kinds of scripts and fantasies that the society has created about black women. So the things that are true are, I'm a dominatrix, I'm a black woman, I'm from Africa. Like that's just, those are just the things that I am. But then there's all the additional shit put onto me from whiteness and from cis heteroculture that then creates this like fetish fantasy of who I am. I have to decide whether or not and when I want to utilize that and for what reason. In some ways, I didn't create the brand. I'm giving into the brand that society has created around who I am and what it means to look the way I look. But it is really just like a vacation for me for an hour. What's it a vacation from? The constant reminder that oppression means that I'm going to be kind of at the bottom of power and um, equity. And that oppression means that, like, Black women are going to be, like, more poor and experience lots of violence. Those are, like, things that I'm constantly thinking about. And I get to go to this, like, almost primal space of being who I wish I was, like, this superhero <laughs> Black woman that teaches white men about racism and brings all my black women and femme friends with me and we can support ourselves and survive and have food to eat and pay for rent. It's really nice. That's it for Love and Radio. This episode was produced by Anne Ford and featured Mistress Velvet. The voices of her clients were read by Nate DeFort, Nick Masidi, Peter Gilstrap, and Mark Ristich. You also heard music from Visible Cloaks, Ensemble Entendu, Palmomen 2, Solvent, Mary Lattimore, Craig Leon, June Chikuma, Time Warp, Joseph Shabison, and Rima Rimba. You can find playlists of all the music we use on the show up on our website. It's loveandradio.org. Love and Radio is produced by Stephen Jackson and Julia DeWitt. Our managing producer is Phil Domofsky. We are brought to you by Luminary Media. Thanks for listening. 
To hear more episodes from the newest season, go to luminary.link love and become a Luminary member today. Right now, it's available in the U.S., Canada, U.K., and Australia, with more countries being added soon. Again, that's luminary.link love.